I'm walking down Broadway in the heart of Sydney, and I'm holding something in my hand. It looks like a measuring cup. Um, a breathalyzer? Funnel? But no one seems to know what it is. I honestly, it looks like a shot glass to me. Maybe like some sort of collection thing? Yeah, is that, is that it? What they're looking at is a menstrual cup, a small bell-shaped device made of silicon or rubber. The cup is worn internally, similar to a sanitary tampon, collecting rather than absorbing menstrual blood. And with a shelf life of about 10 years, the menstrual cup can do the job of thousands of single-use disposable products, making it less harmful to the environment. It complements a range of eco-friendly alternatives to single-use sanitary products, like period or absorbent underwear. But despite being around since the 1930s, isn't widely known about or advertised in Australia. If you consider that 7 million women are using between 10,000 and 12,000 menstrual products through their lifetime, that's 7 billion pieces of disposable plastic that are being produced, consumed and disposed of. So that's a truly huge amount of waste. This is Juliet Kidston-Latari, a science graduate from the University of Technology, Sydney. Juliet and a team of scientists studied the environmental impact of sanitary items in Australia. So this is a huge long-term issue, which has been compounded by the fact that we're now seeing more women uh, aged over 18. So demographically, there are a lot more women in that age group and it's increasing. And if you look at just pads, they take somewhere between 500 and 800 years to start to break down. So we're just going to see this issue compound and get worse over time. On this episode, the real waste from sanitary products and why people aren't using eco-friendly alternatives. This is Think Sustainability. I'm Julia Karkatzel. Pads are tricky to dispose of because you have what is essentially a biodegradable product. So you have cotton or sometimes um, rayon sandwiched between two layers of plastic. So plastic can't be composted. So that needs to go to landfill or it needs to be incinerated. And then you've got this waste material that can be biodegraded and it can be composted. But no one separates those layers. So it's one of those things where because there's no effort to remove the layers, they have to go to landfill. After being thrown away in public sanitary bins, private companies dictate the fate of sanitary products. Some companies incinerate their waste, emitting hazardous levels of pollutants into the atmosphere. Not only are they difficult to destroy, some companies are parading their sanitary products as biodegradable when they're not. So, for example, in pads, a common material is something called a superabsorbent polymer. It's called SAP. It's petroleum-based. They're basically materials that can absorb um, liquid at masses far greater than their own weight. They're used a lot in diapers and things like that because they're really great absorbers. But a lot of them aren't actually biodegradable. So it's kind of like, you know, we claim something's biodegradable, so we treat it as biodegradable, but then it turns out it isn't. So some landfill sites, just as a blanket rule, will not accept these kinds of waste because they're just, it's so inconsistent, the kinds of waste you're going to get. The problem isn't just disposal of pads and tampons. It's everything. Every stage of the life cycle is damaging to the environment. 
most conventional menstrual products, we use petroleum-based plastics like polypropylene and polyethylene and the top sheets and the undersheets. We see that in a lot of menstrual products, virgin materials are used. And in Australia, there's a huge trend of using virgin cotton because we have such a uh, blooming cotton industry that people really like to use it. But as we know, it's a huge user of water and um, arable land, and it has a lot of waste products associated with it. So we're using fossil fuels. We're using really labor and water intensive virgin materials that are ultimately used for maybe eight hours and then they're disposed of. And that's an insanely wasteful life cycle for something that's used so little. So considering the environmental damage of tampons and pads, and if eco-friendly alternatives like menstrual cups have been around for so long, why haven't they entered the mainstream? I've returned to the streets to get some answers. It's like kind of scary. Like what if she loses? To shove the whole thing up there. <laughs> yeah, you have to shove it all up there. But I've heard really good things, so. Thought about using it, but it's just a lot easier using other stuff. I prefer tampons, because when that fills up, I don't know. I haven't talked to my friends specifically to say, what happens when it fills up? Do you leak? It's something new, eh? So it's, I don't know. At the moment, I'm kind of scared <laughs> of it. If you look at the size, it's a bit frightening. So I'd need to try it first. If it's comfortable, of course I'll do it. There's a lot of myths about menstrual cups and it's partly because they're a new product. The too large thing is a funny one because if you look at a menstrual cup, it does look frighteningly large and you go, I don't want to put that inside, <laughs> but it folds to go in and so it's really not that bad. This is Rosie Sheba, founder of Sustainable Menstruation Australia. Rosie started her company in 2015 to promote the use and awareness of menstrual products for the environment. The science graduate has cycled all over the United States, hosting workshops on reusable menstrual products. So she's heard a lot of myths. So the large thing, that's just something that you overcome when you start using them. The vaginal canal can actually open, well, expand three times its normal size. So it's very stretchy tissue in there. So it's really not as frightening as people might think. Um, when you actually insert it, it's no bigger than a tampon in terms of its width once it's folded up. The other thing is a lot of people don't break the seal when they go to take them out. So you actually have to put a finger to the side of the cup and break the seal, which cre creates, like it breaks the airlock, and then they come out fine without a drama. So the reason if you're getting leakage or if it's getting stuck is it means that you're not working with the seal properly. And of course, cups aren't for everyone. Some women with health problems such as endometriosis and vaginismus find them too uncomfortable to use. And some religions even forbid women to use insertion methods. The other main deterrents are accessibility and price. You won't find menstrual cups in many pharmacies in Australia. Most cups and underwear are available online, valued around $40 to $60, which, despite promising a longer shelf life, can be a huge price to pay up front. However, Juliet believes most are just hesitant to use an unfamiliar product, a theory she's backed up in her research. We do talk to women. We talk to them about the impact that their products do have on the environment. And a decent amount of women, about 40%, said that they would change their behaviour based on that. And then the rest of them said they probably wouldn't change their behaviour. And the reason being is quite understandable. It's just they require such a big shift in a person's behavior. So if you think about pads and tampons, 
you can sort of bleed into them. You can rip them off, quickly dispose of them. And you don't really have to look at your period blood. You don't really have to get um, used to that at all. Juliette also argues that it goes against what we're told about menstruation, that menstruating is something to be hidden. You know, a lot of period marketing revolves around discretion and hiding your period and, you know, secrecy. You know, that's really not the case when you're using a cup. You know, your period is really, like, ever-present when you're using a cup because you're, you know, handling the blood almost directly. Um, You're having to dump period blood and tissue into a sink or a toilet. Um, You're a lot more intimate with your own fluids and your own body. And with the underwear, same thing, you're you're sort of washing it and you're having to wash the blood out of it and so you're having to touch it. And so it's kind of like you're having to change your whole relationship with your body in order to use these products. So we, before we could sort of pretend, you know, in a way that, you know, we have our period, but it's fine because we don't really have to deal with the blood. But these products really require us to get quite up and cosy with it. Rosie says this culture of secrecy and discretion is harmful. It's still prevalent throughout every aspect of society, um, particularly in conversations between family members, friends, colleagues, etc. Um, it still makes people shift and a little bit embarrassed and uncomfortable when you talk about these sorts of things. And the taboo around menstruation and periods is just part of the gender inequality that's prevalent in our society. Lack of information and dialogue has resulted in tampon applicators in the ocean. In fact, 0.5% of microplastic waste is just tampon applicators, caused by women flushing tampons and applicators down the toilet, resulting in blocked pipes and flooded sewage systems. Sydney Water has removed hundreds of tonnes of non-degradable products from the water network every year, costing millions of dollars. So that's like an insanely huge amount of tampon applicators that are being flushed into the ocean. You'd be surprised at how many women flush down the toilet and it really comes down to misinformation. So a lot of women just aren't taught that it's not okay and it's not their fault. A lot of women want discretion when they're menstruating and if there are not bins available, they will just flush because that's the only um, place where they can get rid of their products. The online eco-friendly movement has seen a proliferation of blogs promoting sustainable alternatives to single-use culture, featuring everything from stainless steel straws to beeswax wraps. A subset of that, the fringe culture of reusable menstrual products, attracts many women seeking alternatives to single-use sanitary products. But as women flock to websites, they are vulnerable to misinformation or miss out on professional advice. Juliet believes the fragmentation of information women receive about periods can be damaging, not only to the environment, but to physical health. Because we, we would find women would go on blogs um, to find information about what products to use, and some blogs are awful. Like, we found one blog that was telling women to use sea sponges instead of tampons. On YouTube, reviews and how-to videos of women recommending sea sponges in replacement of tampons is concerning. For both the content creators targeted by brands and the impressionable young audiences they attract. Hey guys, it's Brie. So today I went onto my Facebook page and I asked you guys what you wanted to see 
and the most requested video idea was for me to do my review of the sea sponge tampons. So today we're going to talk a little bit about reusable sea sponges. And um, basically it, it gets wet and you wet it under the, um, the sink. Especially if you're trying to get a feel for what size you need or how they work. The sea sponge company contacted me actually. Obviously hand washing is a must. <laughs> They're reusable and that's their claim to fame. So they're saying, hey, these are really friendly for the environment, so go ahead and use these instead of using pads and tampons and destroying the earth. Um, they weren't sterilized. They still had sand and dirt in them. Bits can flake off, like, and that is just like a recipe for toxic shock syndrome. It's so dangerous. Like, why, you know, that's, it's just not a good idea. And it's not women's fault if they believe that because like there's no information that they can really, there's no database they can go to for that information. Back to the life cycle of period products, Juliet says there are plenty of opportunities to use resources more sustainably. Surprisingly with the cotton industry, a lot of the cotton that's actually grown ends up um, being, dis it's not used. So a lot of uh, cotton is, um, it has flyaways so you can actually capture a lot of those flyaways and a lot of those sort of like fibers that aren't used to make conventional pads and you can actually utilize them to make materials like pads that are hygienic, they're produced exactly the same way, they just weren't used in the primary um, manufacturing stream. We looked at alternate fibers, so we looked at hemp is a good one, cornstarch is a really good plastic replacement and there's other companies like in India that are using banana fiber and things like that. Existing waste is more problematic, but there are ways to recycle that waste and convert it into energy, which is what some waste companies like CleanAway are doing. Landfill gas is a natural byproduct of decomposing waste. The waste company collects landfill gas through a well network, which extracts the gas and then transports it to a biogas energy plant. Once inside the plant, the landfill gas is used to power generators that produce electricity. That electricity is fed straight back into the local electricity grid, powering around 4,000 homes in Victoria. We haven't incorporated um, closed-loop systems into any of our manufacturing processes for a really long time, so it's kind of like playing catch-up. We have so much waste that we're dealing with at this point. Like, we just we can't reverse time and, and sort of undo it. So it's kind of like, well, we've got it. Like, what can we do with it? At least we can capture the gas. Ultimately, um, the ideal thing to do is just stop producing waste, or at least if we can produce waste, um, find a way to use it again, which is why, you know, using waste resources is really, um, it's a really hot topic right now. A lot of people are trying to use waste as a new product because, um, it's, I think it's really important to edge away from using virgin materials all the time and producing new materials all the time because we have so many materials already here, so many, tons and tons, that we can use to make great products. As for the taboo around periods, Rosie says the online community has radically helped reduce stigma and start conversation. The answer I would have given you when I first started doing this work about five years ago, thankfully, is quite different to the answer I'd give you today on that topic, but it is slowly changing. Um, the internet's helped heaps with that. There's a lot of data out, like there's a lot of just memes and things that are out there that are smashing through those taboos and stigmas. So I think the online world has helped massively in 
making periods more normal. Juliet agrees these new generations of forward thinkers will revolutionise the industry. It really just comes down to like normalising periods and making disposal normal and just really educating women on like how to take care of themselves and their products. With these new generations, like Gen Y, Gen Z and the millennials are so eco-savvy, like there has been a huge trend towards using sustainable menstrual products. So like the underwear, cups. I have a lot of hope that these products will do a great deal in promoting sustainability in this market, which desperately needs reform. Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SCR Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Sustainability is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Sustainability wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julia Karkatzel. Thanks for your company.